Hey, welcome to The Screenwriting Life. I'm Meg LaFove. And I'm Lorianne McKenna. We are professional screenwriters. We've worked together as a team and separately. We've worked on studio and indie films, live action and animation, from my work on Inside Out and Captain Marvel. To my work in Pixar's story department on Up, Brave, and Inside Out. We are here to share our insights on the craft of screenwriting and also the life. How to not only survive the ups and downs, but thrive. We want to help you become the best screenwriter you can be and to reassure you that you are not alone on this journey. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Today, we are chatting with entertainment industry leader, executive, and inclusion advocate, Allison Mann. Allison has experience in TV, film, and gaming while working at Walt Disney Animation Studio, Zynga, Disney Interactive, Paramount Pictures Animation, Illumination Entertainment, and Sony Pictures Animation. She is the co-founder and CEO of the Brick Foundation, an organization set up to create new access points for women and people from unrepresented groups so that they can excel at creative leadership and to enable cultural change through engaging and empowering talent. So welcome, Allison. Thank you so much for having me. Welcome. Very can I add my, my current job in there? Please, Please do. So I'm currently, um, so I, I left the studio system after 20 some odd years and I decided to go and become a talent manager over at Fourth Wall uh, Management. And then I'm also co-president of our animation division. So we're producing ta- um, projects and all that good stuff. So oh, just awesome. want to plug of where I'm currently at so people can find me. That's yes, awesome. Um, that's fantastic. Um, before we get into our conversation, we're going to do uh, what we call adventures in screenwriting, though today we're going to call it adventures in work life, adventures in Hollywood, let's call it. Um, so uh, Allison has agreed to do it with us. Lauren, you're going to start, but how was your week? Great. My week is was um, still happening. Uh, I am working uh, again on my, well, still on my animation project and development, and we have a a production designer on board and a director and someone working on music and an artist. And so we're looking at character design and I love it so much. And I love uh, sort of having all these really smart people who know way more than I do working on the project with me because it makes me feel uh, like I can actually talk about stuff at a high level, like how I want it to feel or look, and then they get into like the specifics of it, which is really, really uh, wonderful. They're sort of forcing me to dig deeper into what I want and what I'm trying to get at. And then they push back on me, which is amazing. Um, And then I came up with a bunch of ideas. um, And what I realized is um, I get into like panic modes where I feel really desperate like everything feels like a lot of pressure and I, I got to come up with ideas. I got to sell, I got to pitch. Right. And then my ideas aren't really truthful. They're more sort of responsive, like, Oh, I think a show like this will work. And then I sort of cobble something together and there's not really any there, there. And it just feels sort of, there's nothing there, there. And so I felt really dissatisfied with some of the feedback I got. And then I, I had on my ideas and I had to really think like, what is going on? And it's so hard to sit in that pure creative space while external life pressures are banging down the door. And I, but I have to find a way to do it or else I'm just coming up with sort of half-baked crap ideas that are crappy. And so then I thought I have this script that I wrote for this project I wanna do 
a long time ago. And I talked about it on the show, like over a year ago. And I really liked the first draft of it. Like it really felt like my voice and it really felt like what I want to talk about. And I had a couple of people read it and, you know, it was like, this is great. This is you. And I got a couple notes and then I did those notes and then I got more notes and more notes and had so many people read it. And I read the script that came out at the end and I really don't love it. And I don't really know what it's about. I couldn't write a pitch for it. I couldn't come up with really clear episodes ideas of what it was. And I thought, what's happened here? So I went back to an earlier draft and I was like, I know what the show is. I can write the pitch for this. I could write these characters all day long. I know exactly who they are. I know what their problems are. And I can come up with 10 episode ideas, right? I know where season one ends. And I thought like, what happened, right? How did I allow myself to misinterpret the notes so that I just blew the whole thing apart? And it's funny because I was talking to a writer friend about this. He's like, yeah, I remember reading your second draft. And I remember telling you, you took the teeth out of it, right? I managed to like erase what is me in it, like that fundamental voice in it. And then it just like spiraled for five or six months. And it's just been sitting there. Like nobody, like I haven't gotten any traction on it. And I, it just, it's one of those things where I'm so willing to take the note and to rush headlong into the note that I didn't recenter back into like, well, what is it that I'm writing about here? And I hear that note and I, there was such a simple way I could have addressed that note, which is what I'm doing now. I went all the way back to the earlier version and I'm applying everything I learned in all the rewriting. Like some character moments came up that were really good. So it wasn't wasted time, but I just stopped trusting myself in it. I so trusted myself when I wrote that first draft, it was so passionate. And so that's been an interesting lesson to learn that I knew what that first draft was about thematically character series. And then I, I just let it sort of float away or something. And I was grinding on the rewrite. So now I'm, and so now I took that script and I broke it up into cards and I moved some things around and I, I figured out what I need and what I don't need. I've cut all the scenes off early. So there's more loose threads. Like I, I did an edit instead of a complete overhaul. So Mm. it was, um, you know, and, but it is more, much more now what I want. And if, if I could pitch this show, I could write it, you know, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I do feel a little frustrated with myself that I, it took me this long to get back to it. Um, but it is a good reminder and a lesson to me as I move forward. And look, I'm not going to always be right, obviously, with my first drafts or my second or third drafts. But it was a kind of a it's an interesting experience. <laughs> I bet. I yeah. Bet. Yeah. So that was my week. And we have a house guest. So that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> Allison, uh, how was your week? My week has been super fun. I went to Monterey um, with my best friend from Northern California for a little girl's trip because I don't know about you all, but since COVID life, it feels like Groundhog's Day. I wake up and do the same routine every single day. And um, through career, she has kids now. She has three littles. I have twin six-year-olds. And um, we haven't uh, done, and she lives in Santa Rosa. I live here and we haven't done a girl's trip in probably over a decade. And we promised ourselves that was what we were going to do at top of the year. She really was the driving force behind it because I was like, I can't book this hotel. I have too many meetings. And so she's like, okay, I'll do it. 
and she was awesome in booking everything. And uh, we um, went and stayed at this amazing hotel and we had a spa day on Wednesday and I had a drink called Big Little Lies and they were delightful. And um, it was nice to reboot. I think in, sometimes I think we forget about self-care and um, through the rat race and rebooting ourselves and finding where inspiration is. And when life gets so busy, it's like, where do you find the time to, to take? But you, you just have to do it. And I had brought my laptop and I brought my phone. The first day I got there, I did a little work. I had a pitch that I needed to get through. I raced up the hotel <laughs> to my hotel room to get to the pitch um, to turn on my laptop. And I was planning on doing a little bit of work the second day. And then the internet went out. Oh, and no. I literally so had to turn off. Perfect. I had to turn off. It was life saying, you can just hold a minute. You don't have to race into anything. Nothing will catch on fire. Like, you'll be fine. And nothing caught on fire. Everything was fine. And it took me five hours up, five hours to get back. And I took calls in between and got work done, whatever I, you know, kind of lost. But um it was nice. It was nice to reboot. And um, right now I'm working on getting ready for our BRIC summit, which is our fourth summit. And we have Ludacris as our keynote speaker. Um, it's February 11th and 12th. And um, Ludacris has a company called Kin Nation, which is about getting elementary students interested in um, animation. And so that's why he's our keynote. It's not out of randomness. Um, and, and then we're booking all of our other speakers and it's an amazing lineup. So it's a lot of coordination of that summit, which I, we have an amazing team that's helping execute that on top of just daily work and life. Um, and then um, I decided to become co-cookie chair of my, uh, my daughter's Girl Scout troop, which was why would I do that to myself? Not that I don't have enough going on in my life. And so tonight I have to like learn all about what it means to be a cookie chair at 515 when I really just want to relax. Recreate the big little lies yeah. cocktail. Yeah. A hundred percent. hundred percent. So that was, that's a little bit about my, my week. That's a big week. That's a good week. I mean, Meg. you had a good week too. That, that was Yeah. Um, One other yeah. thing I'm doing, which I really like, sorry, Meg, um, is that I'm teaching these workshops and um, they're really, really cool. And I am learning so much and I'm having such a good time. And it is so inspiring to work with other writers of all levels and sort of watching them discover new fun things about their own writing. Um and then I want to write more when I get off the workshops. You know, I'm exhausted, of course, but, um, you know, I want to write more. I want to be more like, more like those writers who just wrote for three hours. So, all right. Sorry, Meg, you go. I literally just remembered something that was due on Monday. <laughs> oh, no. I literally just remembered it. Do you need and, to go? Uh, no, I just need to make myself a note. Um, Bye, Meg. Good to no, no, I'm you. good. I literally just wrote myself a note with little stars everywhere. And this note will end up on the bottom of my shoe somehow. But um, okay, my week, you can just cut that, Jeff. Or that's life right there. That's my life. That's right. Um, 
my week was wonderful because as everybody listened to this podcast in order knows, I've just been jamming for so long, writing so many hours a day and just sometimes in a chopper, you know, can feel like a chopper and uh, inspiration, inspiration, who knows about that? You just have to write. And uh, my head got really tired. And this week was all about delivering. It was all about handing it over that long hike up the mountain. You're at the base camp. I understand I'm not at the top by any stretch of the imagination, but I got to base camp um, and it was well-received. It's been well-received and people are happy. And, you know, so that's a bit of a whoop, whoop, you know, and uh, uh, you know, you gotta, you have to celebrate it. Uh, Lori and I talk about this all the time is you, even if it's just, you know, somebody saying this is a movie or um, somebody saying, you got, you did so much work and uh, we, we like the work you did and we're excited, whatever you have to just really take that in because even though your head immediately starts saying, do they really mean that or whatever? You can't listen to that because you just have to enjoy it. So I'm, I'm just trying to let myself enjoy that. And, you know, when somebody says it's a movie, it's a really big deal. And I, I really think the projects are movies. And I think that's, a huge deal. It's not an idea anymore. It's not a situation. It's not a series or piles of events or incidents. It's a movie. And for pro writers, that's what you're waiting to hear. You're waiting to hear this is a movie. Um, you, you know, that story engine, of course, is going to probably need some tinkering, but it's there. Like the engine is running. You, they can see the movie. And so that's a really big win. It's a big win. Um, Again, it'll look, it'll all explode. And I know that, but for now, I'm not going to worry about it. Uh, so, so let's get into the questions with Allison. So, um, Alan is Allison. It's great to see you. Uh, we work together at Paramount and that's how we know each other. And that was really fun. So I'm curious, you've had such an amazing experience uh, in the industry. How did you get your start? Internships. So um, a little about my history. So um, I wanted to be an animator. I went to an art high school. My teacher told me 2D animation was dead and I had to pick a different career. Um, at the same time as I started rescuing seals, I rescued seals for three years. I thought I was like, okay, if I'm not gonna be a 2D animator, I wanna be the next Jacques Cousteau and do, anime, you know, or do um, documentary filmmaking and marine biology. And then I started taking marine biology classes and we went whale watching and I started vomiting and was like, okay, that's not gonna be my career. <laughs> so I pivoted it again. And then um, I decided to go major at Columbia College in Chicago in media ma management, which was like business of the arts. So I could continue painting, but learn the business side. And during my time at Columbia, I interned at two places. One being at Nickelodeon Animation Studio. It was in finance. I fucking hated finance. I'm not good in math. I know I got it because I have a business degree, but that was not my jam. And then, um, but I knew I loved animation. Like that was wonderful. And then the other internship was casting. That was not my jam at all. Um, actors are wonderful. Not something that I could potentially manage, but appreciate the process. So um, internships are very valuable. You kind of can learn what you love and don't. And so 
Um, I knew I wanted to get back into animation, which was originally my love since the age of like six or seven. Like that was where I knew I wanted to be. And so I kept in touch with everybody going into my senior year of school um, at Columbia. And when I graduated from school, I got offered two jobs at Nickelodeon Animation Studio. One was being a PA on Go Diego Go. And the other one was working in special events where part of that job would be dividing up the portfolios and then giving them out to all the productions. And because I'm classically trained in art like, and I didn't know 100% what I wanted to do, I went with the, the role that seemed more of like a page sort of role where I could give tours. It was like kind of a mishmash. I did these special events and then I got to deal with the portfolios and the productions. And the part of the job, obviously, that I probably gravitated towards was um, the talent part and the art part. And I was really able to connect and I fell in love with a role that nobody had ever told me about, which was creative recruiting. And so I was at Nickelodeon for five years and I formed the first recruiting department. I took over the internship program for Nickelodeon and MTV networks. And then I got recruited to go to Disney feature animation which is now at Walt Disney Animation Studio, um, to be a creative recruiter where I was working on Princess and the Frog. So my dream of work, not I never became a 2D animator, but I got to hire all the 2D animators that inspired me to want to be an animator. And that was pretty flippin' rad. And then Nickelodeon was rad for me because my shows that I loved growing up was obviously everything in the 80s and 90s of Nickelodeon, but I loved me some Ren and Stimpy. That was like probably my, and, and Daria and Beavis and Butthead. That's what I did as a teenager. I, I, I got out of school and that's what all my friends and I would do. So, uh, and then I got to go and work with all those people and all those amazing humans that inspired me. So like my journey of being in the industry is like, just working with all the people that inspired me and trying not to geek out on a constant. It's really what it comes down to. Do you, so you still get to be in, uh, you know, in touch with the art and everything. Do you paint still on your own? Um, so I, I um, haven't been painting, um, but I am directing a short. Um, so it's um, called Tunnel Vision and it's, so I've had cancer twice. And the idea came from my, the second time I got diagnosed with cancer, I was stuck in an MRI machine for, I don't remember how long, but it felt like forever. And it was be, in the MRI, after the MRI um, machine experience, that would tell me um, what my full prognosis I, I was going to have. So while I was in this machine, um, I went, I kind of had this like kind of meditative experience. It was almost out of body where I was reflecting of everything that's important to my life. Everything I was, was like past, present and future. And a lot of the, what ifs, what is, what if the prognosis is going to be really bad? What, if, what, how, if it is really bad, how am I going to live the remainder of my life? Or if it's totally fine, what is that going to look like? And how am I going to change my behavior? And then, so I went into this weird state and then all of a sudden there was like a whoosh of like white light. I know I don't even know how, to, but, and then I came back into reality and then I was like still stuck in the MRI machine, but I was like, I don't know what that experience is, but that needs to be a short. 
So I gathered a bunch of other amazing humans um, who've had cancer and breast cancer. So everybody who's working on the short um, has either had it or is um, one degree separated. Um, and, um, and so the short in the short, the, the main character, she is, a, she's an artist, but she got deterred from being an artist. And so she ends up going back after she gets diagnosed and she starts painting. So my goal is to follow in her footsteps. So once the short is done, that I also have some paintings that I've been working on. Wow. That's a sort of, is there something so beautiful coming out of something so harrowing? Right. Like, and, and I've always wanted to be a director. And like, to me, it's like, I think this industry does a really good job of telling people who they are. They're like, you stay in this lane. This is how you're identified. And this is, and you can't be anything else because this is what we feel based off of your experience you're allowed to do. And to me, I'm the keeper of my destiny. And if I always wanted to be an artist in our industry, if I always wanted to direct and maybe a big studio won't give me that opportunity because I didn't take a traditional pathway, then it's up to me to make that experience myself. And I was lucky lucky enough to be surrounded by other people that are willing to mentor me. And so like everybody's just rallying and like, helping me through this journey of telling this story and it's pretty magical. Right. I, what you said about, um, this industry is really good about telling you who you are. Megan, I talk about that a lot. Like you're, you're right. You're the person who's in charge. And I think in animation, it can be a little stickier because the projects take so much longer, right? So you're in that role on that project for, you know, between a year to five years. And so there's a, you, they sort of depend on you to continue doing that for so long. And then you don't get to sort of be the, the captain of your own ship in a certain way. Um, perhaps it's getting a lot better. Um, but, uh, but I think it's industry, it's in the industry, right? People want to know what you do and then tell you who you are. So it works for them. And so it can yes. be really scary to do what you're doing, which is direct a short and to get people to see you in that way. Um, but the way to do that is what you're doing, which is to do it. Yeah, just do it. Like no apology. And it's the same with, I just career shifted. Like for years I was on the recruitment side. I had an amazing opportunity at Sony Pictures Animation to somewhat pivot my career. And then when that gig was up, uh, I didn't want to go back into recruiting. I was kind of done with it. Like I might go back to it again one day, but I really just wanted to be more creative. You have this life once. And so I was trying to, I was exploring different options at different studios and, and I, nothing felt a hundred percent right. I was like, I could do the job, but do I want to spend day in and day out? Especially when I feel like a lot of my cancer came from being stressed all the time. And so I didn't want another role where and no matter how much longer I have on this planet where I'm just like losing my marbles all the time. So when John Huddle called me about fourth wall, it just felt like a natural, like a lot of my skill sets that I've already worked on, like the career coaching and being a talent advocate, which always got me into trouble at studios because I was always talent first. And then, but then also being able to produce and help create like, And so it was a really good marriage of 
what I can do and where I want to go. And it was a good marriage. And I do have to start over a little bit. I'm rebranding myself a bit, but I'm okay with it. Like, I think it's important to have different experience and lead by curiosity. And if you have the ability to pivot, then you should, you should do it. Love that. I love that. Can you talk a little bit more about um, your work as a manager and how you approach it, you know, in terms of the animation writers out there? I'm sure they're very curious about that. Yeah, so I rep um, writers and animation talent. So one of the reasons why I joined Fourth Wall on the talent management side was uh, years of lack of representation in that side of the industry. So years of recruiting, I really never came across any managers in even development, very few managers or agents, unless you're a high level director, but there was no one really advocating for the artists themselves. Like sometimes they would have lawyers here and there, but if you think of the live action space, you know, management and, and agents, that's that's been around for years. And the, and those groups of humans have created, were able to really create market for all the talent. So it wasn't just like the place where you think you could get a job and, and kind of advocating for yourself from one job to the next, but really like creating market and like creating kind of bidding wars for these people and, and getting them to know there's, you know, whether you're an actor or a writer, like in the live action space, taking meetings and like expanding out that network. Animation humans didn't, they don't really have that as much. And so my goal, especially in looking for at women and BIPOC was to help be a advocate and help create market around them. As an example, one of um, my clients, like one of my first clients when I joined Fourth Wall is somebody I worked with at Illumination, uh, sorry, not Illumination, at Paramount. And she was one of, um, I hired her there and I had been mentoring her for, for a really long time. And so when I joined Fourth Wall, she's like, yes, please be my manager. And within three weeks, I set her on a ton of meetings. She had three directing opportunities, which she was a straight story artist before, not like, and maybe I had a story for like a couple months, but it, you know what I mean? And she, and we worked on a couple pitchbacks for her, like really supporting her and getting her to understand what it means to have like that director hat, that creative leadership hat, and really kind of even tweaking some of her verbiage. So it's like, how do you come across and having conviction and removing some of your vocabulary so it doesn't feel like you're teetering one way or another, but really going in with that confidence and what does that confidence look like? And so we really worked with her. We worked on her pitchbacks. We worked on her, how she presented herself, what her brand was, things that she responded to. And so when we were going out to market with her, we could say she's interested in X or she's not interested in that. She's like, and you want to make a deal with her? Great. This is what it needs to look like. And so we were able to do that for her, which, you know, in, in our industry doesn't happen that often. And where, where do you look for clients now? Well, a lot of the clients I signed were people that I've been mentoring for a really long time. Um, but um, I look um, right now, I'm going through all the shorts from Sundance. 
Um, I track a lot of people from the various studios that are story artists, maybe heads of story, obviously knowing all the directors, most of them have representation already though. Um, and then Instagram, um, just people who are creative. Like I want people that, that want to work on themselves because I think also what happens in anything, my years of experience of being a recruiter is people easily will punt responsibility for making like what they want to achieve in their career onto somebody else. They'll put place blame. They'll be like, oh, well, my manager didn't give me a, the promotion I wanted. I'm like, did you ask for your promotion? No. Sometimes it's manifesting. I always call it manifesting the fork in the road. What people don't know, they don't know. And you have to be very vocal. So there's only so much he heavy lifting I can do. So I'm looking for people that are proactive in their career, that are self-aware, that want to build up their brand, that may be open to taking risks. I think animation industry is a little risk adverse because to your point, we spend four years on one project. So moving from the comfortable seat of Disney and potentially going on your own to be a filmmaker, that's really scary. But if you want to be a filmmaker, you're going to have to take the leap. So really looking for the people that want to build their creative kind of force. And even if their goal is to, I want to be a graphic novelist. Well, great. I want to start, I want to do a podcast. Like, great, let's do it. So it's not just about, for me, when I'm managing somebody, it's not just about TV or film, but people that can look at our industry and the media as a whole and explore all those different avenues to get their kind of creative juices out there. Awesome. I think I know that we're talking about visual artists right now, but I do think this applies to writers. Uh, it applies to writers in live action. It, it, it applies to all writers of any discipline um, and any artist, I believe, in terms of, you know, manifest the fork in the road and you got to take risks and you what's your brand and self-awareness. I mean, it's it's amazing advice for any artist out there. Can you give an example of changing how you talk about yourself? You talked about coaching. So like, what's an example of like not being really clear about your brand with somebody in a meeting and then how you change that to be very clear about who you are? Well, I think, I think understanding what your intentions are, right? Like, and, and what your convictions are. I think sometimes you have to dig deep. It's like going, I always say interviewing is like dating, right? Like, when you're unclear of the type of mate you want, then you date a lot of people, right? And like, eventually you find the person that you wanna focus on. But also if you don't love yourself, if you don't know who you are, then it's gonna be harder to find that person. It's the same as like a job. So if you're unclear, if you're like, if you're a writer and you're like, I wanna be, um, I wanna write for a, like a crime drama. But all of the work that you do, like all of your specs are rom-com, that's going to be really hard to get you placed. So sometimes there's a disconnect with the body of work that people are producing versus where they want to go. And there, there's a disconnect in the brand there. The other is um, the, the own, owning your own destiny. I think that sometimes... Um, 
because people are unclear and I went through this, like after I left Sony, I was like, people are like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I don't know. And then that, that's not helpful because people want to hear what your thoughts are of where you want to be placed because it's not malicious intent. They're just too busy to figure out your own career path. That's your job. And I knew it was my job to do it. And I was all over the place. And it wasn't until I started talking, taking meetings and getting and doing some real soul searching. Then I realized what I really wanted to do, but it took a little bit to get there. And I think that's okay. And like, I think sometimes we're really hard on ourselves and like, we, we must know immediately, you know, I think it's good to explore. It's good, whether you're writing or you're a visual storyteller, exploring different, um, different things that inspire you, um, different themes, different um, subject matter, different styles. And eventually it's like when you're in art school, like you, you try all these things out and eventually you come into your own, but you have to come into your own in order to get placed. Otherwise people don't know where to place you. So that's where that conviction lies. And, and, and then it's sometimes with your wording too. Like um, it's like uh, using, like flipping a few things like um, instead of, I feel this could be like this saying, I know this could be like this. You know what I mean? Again, it's about that conviction. So not teeter tottering on the maybes, or maybe it could be this way, but this is how it should be. It's so, it's so funny. I mean, it's not funny, but you're talking about active voice, right? Which is something we need to write Mm. with, right? She runs to the bank, not she is running to the bank, right? Mm. We want active. It's like, I'm running to the bank, not I'm going to run to the bank, right? So I remember I had a meeting with you, a general with you at Sony. And, and I said, it was first time I ever said this out loud. You asked me, what do you want to do? And I said, I'm a showrunner. I just don't have a show yet. And I said that out loud to you. And I was like, oh no, that's what it is. I am a showrunner. I just don't happen to have a show yet. <laughs> right. So then it was like, yeah, that's, so it was, uh, so you're magic. So thank you for that. But um, for me, that was a really powerful thing to own. It's really scary to say that stuff out loud too, right? Because when you say it out loud and you believe it, you're sort of hoping that other people believe it as well, right? Um, but they will, you have to tell people who you are. So to your earlier point, they don't decide who you are. Yeah. Just super quickly, just piggyback off that too, Lorian. like another writing lesson we can take away from this is, I think like that's such a sharp observation of active voice and just like a really clear distillation understanding of our wants. You know, it's the, my biggest takeaway every week on this show is develop characters with agencies, develop characters with desires. And um, that's what we need to do in our own career as well. So I just had that thought. I am. Um, I have all my clients create branding decks. Ooh, what's that? Tell us about that. So in it, they have to, cause it's almost like, um, it's part of manifestation, right? Or, or when you do like a Pinterest board or a vision board, anything like that, it's getting everything together in one spot. So they have to write their bio. And the way that I make them write their bio is what makes your voice unique? It's about empowering perspective. In a world where everything is about diversity and inclusion, what is it about your background? What makes you unique? Why do we need to be hearing your stories or or looking at your art, like where does that point of view come from? Give us a little bit of insider baseball into your world. Can you give so, an example? Do you have a 
Is that? Yeah. So um, one of the other managers, this is a story she tells, is she had a writer who she was putting um, up for jobs over at the CW. And, and she was, I think she ended up landing one, but there was then her client came to her and was like, oh, there's a bunch of these great witch projects. You know, I, I grew up Wiccan. And um, it was around the time that like Sabrina, the teenage witch, and she's like, man, if you had told me that earlier, I could have probably got you on Sabrina. So it's like these little, like what we don't know as representatives, we don't know. And the more information you can tell us about your background and, and again, that unique perspective of things you've grown up with. Another one of my clients, um, like, his um his mom was part of the like was in the Cambodian killing fields and then his dad um was in the army and that's how he met his mother and he is this ex-army brat and so it's like again this really unique perspective of not look we all come from a place of trauma and not that we need to glorify our trauma but it is also what gives us our unique perspective and so if you can not, you don't need to be a Debbie Downer in your bio, but it's about like showcasing these little tidbits and sprinkling and peppering that in to your bio just to, to personalize it, to, to get somebody to connect that you're not just a number, you're not just another writer, you're not just another visual storyteller, but you're, you're a human that has had these um, wonderful and, and scary and tra sometimes traumatic experiences. And I think people want people to be real. I think when, when people are, are looking for writers, they're looking for people to connect with the material. And it's just like interviewing for any job. Like some people are like, why didn't I get that job? I'm like, well, how into the company? Did you do the research? Like, why do you wanna go for that job? And sometimes people are just going for it for the sake of going for something versus really being strategic and, and understanding why they're driven for that position. So that when they do eventually get that meeting, they're really able to talk about why they're so passionate about it. So I get my clients to talk about if we're up for a job, why are we up for that job? Why are we excited? How can we make sure if we're doing a pitch back, like I just had my two of my, I have two female clients, they just got a directing gig over at Cartoon Network. And as they were doing the pitch back, I asked them to, to continue peppering in why this particular project is important to them. So throughout the whole time of the pitch back, it was this, this part was great. And this is why I responded to it. So it's about, it's about threading that narrative of you plus the content together and why that connection. So that's a little bit about the bio. And then I have them put together a collection of their work, just kind of high level. Um, and, then, um, and then just these kind of visual snapshots. And then just to show that they're thinking beyond the job or past jobs that it, they have shows that they're creating. So they're high level kind of paragraphs of their next projects that are they're going out to pitch. So that whoever is um, 
interviewing them, having a general with them. They're not, they know they're not just a gun for hire. They could be an, a person where they can hear pitches and that they're creating beyond the assignment is also something that's, that's important. I love that because what it's going to, as a writer, if you do that with, let's say, log lines of the shows or, or things you've already created, and then log lines or paragraphs of the shows that you're, you're working on or fascinated by, it's also going to, when you say it's a branding doc, you as a writer are going to start to see your own brand. Because I think sometimes mm -hmm. people can't see it, but if you start writing that stuff down on a paper and all together, at first of all, you're going to see if it's too diversified and too all over the place, and you wouldn't know how to sell you either. Like if you actually can't make this document, it's going to be good to know. Um, and I love the idea of constantly peppering through your 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 pitch, why it's emotionally connected to you and important to you, personal to you. I think that's super super important. And this is what happened to me this week with all those ideas, right? I was like kids animation project, sci-fi one hour. Like I was all over the place. Right. And so my manager was like, I don't, what, what about your body of work tells me that you're going to write a one hour epic sci-fi. <laughs> like, I like sci-fi, <laughs> you know? So uh, it was, I, I sort of lost sight of my brand, where my skills lie and what I'm passionate about. And when I sit down, what it actually turns into when I write it. Right. So mm -hmm. it's all fine for me to come up with all these ideas, but like, it's not actually those aren't actually the stories I want to tell and how I want to tell them. So it's exactly that. And you can push your brand, I think, you know, but yes, I mean, how do you do that? So I'm somebody who's only written rom-coms as in the example you gave earlier, but I want to be in a one hour crime. How do you, how would you talk to a client about making that shift? Well, it, this was going to be my next point in what I've been telling some, you know, baby writers who are coming up and just people who, are, are starting to build up their career in general. And this could be again, visual or writing, but it's about starting somewhere, right? Like I, I might have all this interest, but you have to start at, at, you have to build a foundation. And then once that foundation starts to continue to build, then you can kind of spider out and see where you can, what other sorts of things you can kind of dabble into. Like look at writers like Lord and Miller, for example. Like they've done rated R, they've done co-viewing, they've done live action, you know what I mean? They've, they've kind of been all over the place, but they had to start somewhere. And so you have to build trust, just like any brand. Think of any, think of yourself like a company. Think of yourself like a business. Like my nonprofit, for example, started off just as summits. That is what our, our mission was to get people under one roof to talk about diversity, inclusion, career pathways, and get everybody, industry, government, educators under one roof to have these discussions. That was year one. And then from there, there was different initiatives. Then we, we heard what kind of the actionables could be from every summit. And so we followed the, some of the bed, breadcrumbs. Some of it was like trending in the industry. Some of it was staying on top of the, you know, going beyond what the industry was asking for, but really kind of trending in a direction. And then, and then we became the cheesecake factory all of a sudden. We were doing too much. So then we had to rein it in again and pick like one or two things we really wanted to focus on so that people knew how to best support us. 
And then as we grow, then more people will support us. And then we'll be able to continue building up our business and spider out from there. But like brands like Nike or, or any sort of retailer, food chains, whatever it is, they all start, you know, you, you think of like Microsoft or Apple, think about where they started, like garages, right? Like in somebody's basement, they all start somewhere with a very specific mission. And then from there, they build out their product. So if you think of yourself, of your, here's my one-year plan of my business, of my brand, and this is my five-year goal. And I know it sounds cliche of those two things, but it's really, it, they run parallel with each other. And it's about consistency and trust, like within any brand. And when you falter off of those two things, if you stop delivering on what you promised, then the jobs stop. People will stop engaging, just like any brand. Look at Peloton right now. Our people. <laughs> I, I well, write my Peloton of, still. In terms of <laughs> I'm going to get one. I'm just saying. In terms of consistency and trust, in terms of as a writer, I think that's my big core value in terms of my career, which is if my producer or my director does not is not on board with the draft, it's not going into the studio because I it'll break the trust and consistency of my work. Meaning. I, if I don't think this script is ready, even if it's due, even if I need the money, whatever, it's not going in because I need them to say, wow, you did, this is amazing work. Even if they want to change it, right? Because you never know, right? What's what, how it's going to respond, what executive change, whatever. But the quality of the work in terms of the consistency and what my brand is, which is in terms of the emotional character work or whatever it is that I've hit it, um, I do think that that is so, so important. And I think a lot, a lot of writers can go off track there in terms of that trust and consistency uh, with the work. It, there's not it's to say that writers don't get taken advantage of too in terms of that, they absolutely do. But I think that's super, super important. We should also for sure, cause I wanna grab some writer, uh, listener questions here before we uh, lose Allison. Um, Allison, Wendy asked, I love that Brick is partnering so closely with studios from the top down and creating opportunities for new animation professionals. Are there any other mentorship development programs that nurture underrepresented voices that you are excited about or can share with our listeners? Yeah, there's um, Rise Up Animation, Women in Animation, um, Latinx in Animation, uh, Cape is doing really cool stuff in conjunction with um, Sony Pictures Animation. They just had an accelerator program. So those are the ones that I would say are, are, really, are really doing a good job of being active and, and mentoring. That's great. Um, I get this question all the time. And so I would like to hear what you have to say, which is mm -hmm. um, Kate asks, what are the differences between an animation script and a traditional live action screenplay? So my philosophy in animation, whenever I hear a pitch and this not might, it might be unpopular, but I feel like anything can be animated. So I always say, why not animation versus um, why should this be animated? Like, um, so mine is why not? And the, the, but the point is it's the, how you involve the visual language. Like why is the medium going to be the vessel for telling this story. So in order to do that, you have to 
you have to bring that language into your script because in a live action script, they'll, I mean, I haven't done a lot of live action, so you all can probably speak to this better, but from what I've seen is, uh, you know, you have the kind of those, they'll, they'll go to the director, the shots will be done, everything will kind of be worked out that way. Well, in, in our world, we have to understand where that visual language is going to come from a bit more. So you have to really describe what that, that looks like and how you're going to use that medium. Like in um, Family Guy, when they go off the rails in these like different sorts of fights, like you can't necessarily do that in live action, but you're going to have to write that down on paper of what that looks like. So um, I think it's how you described out those scenes that set it apart. And do you represent writers as well as artists or just artists? Yes. You do. Yes. So when mm -hmm. you're um, on, the, on the management side, what are the you know, primary factors Noah's asking that will convince you to read a script by a potential client? Um, you know, and is it the log line? Is it um, just the concept itself? Or wh what are the factors that you're like, okay, that one I'm going to read? I think for me right now, it's based off of referrals because I come up from visual. And also, I don't rep writers on my own. I, I co-rep them with the managers who've repped writers for a decade because this is something that I'm still learning. So I don't ever want to steer somebody in the wrong direction. And I don't have the same contacts as my colleagues do in, the, in that writer space as much. So um, I think for us, I think it has to do with um, knowing voice and how and recommendations from friends, like if they've worked with them and um, if they feel like they could just use a little bit more help, like in, in which areas. And then when I meet a writer, it's about having more than one sample. Like there was somebody, um, there was a, um, it's one of the writing uh, uh, programs that are out there that help break new writers. And they flagged this one writer. And so I, I was like, I sent it out to a couple of my colleagues. And I was like, hey, anybody in, interested in reading this person with me? And my colleague came back and she's like, actually, you know, I tried to sign her five years ago or so. And she said no. And from looking at what they're submitting, they're, she's submitting the exact same work that she did five years ago. So there was no pro progress that had been seen within the craft which is what I always look for is like, how does that person evolve? What, how do they go beyond? So when I'm looking, it's like, okay, great. This is a great spec. Like uh, this was a great, but what's next? What else do you have in your arsenal? So I want to make sure like that it's not just like a one-off that they're constantly thinking what other ideas that they have. Um, and then um, I think we look for like knowing what the industry is looking for we look for, you know, potentially holes in who we're representing. So if like, I don't know, rom-com is huge right now. We don't even have any rom-com writers. Then we might be going out for rom-com writers. Um, so that's kind of how we work as a whole together, which is kind of the fourth wall strategy. Nice. Nick asked a follow-up question to that, which is what, 
what do you find is the essential practices to maintain and grow a successful manager client relationship? So now you've signed somebody, um, be they an artist or a writer, what for you is kind of creates that great relationship between the two of you? I think communication, like just like in anything, like I'll be as active as you are. Like I'm not the, we sign. So the, this is how it typically, we, we sign someone and then the next meeting is a goals meeting. This is what we want to achieve. This is what I expect from you. Like, I'm not going to do all the heavy lifting. I expect you to come to the table with ideas and communication. And the more active you are, the more active I'm going to be. And that's not to say I'm not following up. It's not, doesn't mean I'm not constantly flagging your name for like, or submitting you for opportunities. But the more you're engaged, the more that I know that you're motivated to do something with your career. I have one client, she probably texts me every single day. And that's great. She's like, can you help me draft this email? I'm like, no problem. Can you, I I just found this graphic novel. Can you find, figure out the rights? Like, I know she's motivated to direct, to take her career in the next well, I have others who I have to chase down and I'm like, let's, let's talk. And it's like, again, it's not fully my job to get you where you need to be. You have to be motivated to do it too. So I think like anything, it's really easy to place blame on, on, on lack of your own achievements when it should be almost solely your, your role. There's only so much I can do, but you have to be present in your life and your career in order to do that. So not that I have a three strike you're out. I've only been doing this for six months, but I have a little bit of that. So as I'm working with people, like I, I have a pretty robust client list now, and I'm going to see who's really coming to the table, who's really motivated because I, I don't want to chase. I want people who are true partners that we're aligned with our goals and their goals and what we want to achieve that we're holding each other accountable. And we're not going to be like, well, like I've heard people like, well, my manager didn't do this, this, and this. I was like, as I'm getting to know you, you're also not listening to your manager and the feedback that they're telling you. So you can't have your cake and eat it too. Like if somebody's saying like, Hey, you want this job, you need to do X, Y, and Z, then you need to do X, Y, and Z but you can't be like then surprised when you don't do X, Y, and Z and nothing happens, right? which right. that happens a lot as well. It's I a think great that, perspective. Yeah, Sorry, I think ahead, there's Lauren. a perception among unwrapped writers that getting a manager is like this, they get this key to all the big gates and then suddenly the world opens up. And um, you know, from my experience and a lot of other writers I know, we get a lot of our own jobs through our networks and, you know, relationships. And so it's sort of both, right? I'm out there sort of hustling on my own. The manager is hustling for me that. So how do you, how do you see your role in that? Mm -hmm. Like, do you think you're the magic key to opening the, the access world? Like, how does that work for you? So I see, and the reason why I became a manager is I see myself being more as a career coach. So like, even if say, for example, someone gets, a directing gig. Like that doesn't mean I go away. That means while you're directing and this is your first time directing, I'm here for you making sure that you're successful in it. So if you need help crafting an email, if you're having trouble 
you know, leading, like I can be here in the background supporting you. That's where my 10% comes from. It's not just about landing the gig, but it's about how we land the gig. And yes, your network is going to find you jobs. My network is going to find you jobs, but the, it's about the core of the relationship and supporting you through that full journey. It's not just about landing an opportunity, but it's about navigating once you get it. And then also looking to the next one. So not feeling comfortable. So great. You landed yourself a gig. What's coming next? We should be like strategically looking for that next gig, whether that's coming from you or from me, but we should start mentally preparing at least six to three to six months out where you're landing next. And maybe you'll get a pickup and maybe you won't, but does that mean are we optioning something? Like, are we creating a original pitch? Are you working on a new spec that we can submit to a project that we know? And a lot of our day-to-day as managers is also talking to everybody in the industry, whether it's on your behalf, but it's also being in the know of what's trending. So like, if we know Tubi is looking for X, Y, and Z, we can go back to our clients and say, hey, you had this pitch. And I think it's going to be great for Tubi because this is exactly what they're looking for. So our job is really knowing, being in the know, helping with your strategy, not just landing you the job. So I want to ask one last question before we end, because I know we're out of time, but I think so many writers have this question, um, not just about animation, but now we're going to talk about animation is there any way to get staffed on an animated show without an agent or a manager? I mean, I've seen a ton of people do it. And how? I mean, how, do you, well, how, well, how did they do it? What's I, your no, advice? I, I, I think it's about, like, again, that connection. I think getting part, uh, like, go to Rise Up Animation, go to Brick Summits, <laughs> plug, plug, um, go to um, Women Animation, like, be a joiner. Like, I love that. It, it's, it's not about, it's so cliche. It's not about what you know, it's who you know. You know what I mean? Like, the, and that's how I built my career. Whenever I get hired, people hire me for my Rolodex because I've spent a long, a lot of time networking and connecting in a very genuine, genuine way because I, I lead with curiosity. I love getting to know people. And so like lead with curiosity, lead. And I know if you're, you know, it, it can be scary to put yourself out there, but again, you're in control. It's about that manifestation. It's about putting yourself out there and like, and, and being a yes. And which is always what I believe as well. It's always about taking the meeting, even if you already have another gig, it's always about taking a meeting, even if it's not perfect. It's always about saying yes to something, even if the deal isn't perfect. I've seen so many people get in their own way. First time creators shutting down gigs because egos got in the way because they feel they deserve. Again, you have to start somewhere. You don't get all the money right away. You have to start somewhere. You have to prove yourself. It's like anything. And so, and then once you start proving yourself, the money follows. But sometimes I feel like putting people put money first or kind of superficial ideas first versus generally putting them and their craft first and their passion first. And once you put that first, all that other stuff will follow. Ah, oh, there's so much good advice here on this show. I, I, I've 
I'm just so excited. I've written so much down because it's such good advice, you guys. But we're going to end now with the three questions that we ask every guest. So, Allison, what brings you the most joy when it comes to your work? People. Awesome. (laughs) Period. (laughs) All right. Well, what pisses you off about your work? People. (laughs) Wait, did she say say that too? Or is that just I did. I, I, you know, it's, um, people can be so inspiring and so creative and, and it's so many layers and complex, but people ruin everything too. Like, can you, like, I don't know probably anybody on this, like on this, on this podcast, but how many of your deals have been killed because of people? Like, you're like, you get, you get to like, you're like, oh my God, my show's going to go. And then ego gets in the way. And then the whole thing falls apart. People, it's like people just stop, but people keep going. It's very complex. It's very confusing, but um, yes. Um, so both of those things. That's great. And which is interesting though, as a storyteller too, it's like, the antagonist and the protagonist, right? Like both sides of the, you know, same yeah. coin, right? Yeah, yeah 100%. Jeff, Do you want to ask the last question? Oh, yes. I was, I'm so enamored. I'm just like, feel like such an audience member this episode. Um, the last question is, um, when you think about your work, what's like one thing that you'd like to be remembered for? Um, I think um, my... my connection with people, my empathy, my support for humans and knowing that I have, I always have had true intentions to get, to want people to be their best and get them to where they want to be. Oh, thank you. The heart of an artist. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm super excited about your short and your painting and your management and all those lucky people who get to be those lucky, lucky people. Yeah. Allison, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was really a a treat and such amazing insights for our audience. Well, thank you for having me. I've been listening to you and um, I was so stoked when uh, Lorian asked me. So thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Thanks to our audience for tuning in. If you haven't yet, join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash the screenwriting life. And also please do drop us a review on Apple Podcasts. I know everybody's so busy and you probably forget and you're probably looking for your off switch. But before you do, please, because it does help, these reviews do help us, uh, other people find the show. Um, and if you're looking for additional support and guidance, feedback on your work, um, please do check out our new Patreon at patreon.com the screen, slash the screenwriting life. We set this up because so many people have asked us to basically because, you know, people really do want to have more access. So this is just a way we can do it. So um, come over and there's a tutorial video on there explaining kind of how it works and what you can do. Yeah, we're offering content over there. So it's not just, you know, blind support for nothing yeah like it's like workshops and um just kind of what we know so that we can help you yeah and remember you are not alone and keep writing thanks for tuning in to the screenwriting life we love our community and we want to get to know you even better 
Join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash the screenwriting life or email us at the screenwriting life at gmail.com to have your question considered for the show. You can also suggest topics by emailing us there. Also, we'd love for you to drop us a review on Apple Podcasts. Even if we don't read your review on air, trust me, we have read it. And not only does it mean the world to us, but it helps other people find the show. We've always been driven by mission and mentorship, and reviewing our show helps expand that mission. And of course, until next Sunday, happy writing.